Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK shares commentator, blogger, investor, small cap specialist, so um, and writer with Graham Neary of the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia.com. This is my usual weekly podcast, a roundup of the week. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday, the 19th of March, 2023. It's Mother's Day, so I'm away from home, actually. <clears throat> I've driven Mother up from Bournemouth to my brother's in Cheshire so that we can be together with Mum on Mother's Day, which is very lovely. But obviously I don't have my usual computer kit with me. So I've just brought my Chromebook, and I'm, for the first time, trying to record a podcast on the voice recorder programme within my Chromebook. Um having a few technical problems so this is my second attempt at recording it now also just fyi i'm going to be away in malta in gozo actually uh the sister the the tiny little island off to the north of malta for the whole of april i've booked an airbnb for four weeks because you get very very good much (laughs) hugely discounted rates if you go if you hit the four week threshold so i'm going to be uh, treating that one week one week on one week off in terms of work and I'll have this Chromebook with me there, so I'll do the podcasts on that. So this is a good trial run today to see if the podcast records all right for podcasts. Now, uh, <clears throat> this week's really been dominated again by the banking crisis. Is it a crisis yet? I would say so, yes. Going that way, anyway. Um, Monday, I didn't really look at any individual shares until too late in the afternoon, so they fell into Tuesday's report. Um, I was really uh, looking closely at the banking problems on Monday. And HSBC bought Silicon Valley Bank UK in a, in a really good deal, I think, that was put together over the weekend. No taxpayer money or guarantees involved, it seems. And HSB just bought it for a pound as a going concern, I think. That's right, which is <coughs> is quite helpful, but very helpful. <coughs> There's quite a few companies in our <coughs> universe at the more speculative end of UK small caps anyway seem to have got borrowing facilities from Silicon Valley Bank, which <coughs> I think was prepared to offer terms that the mainstream banks in the UK wouldn't have done. So in a way, it's not surprising that uh, a, a bank that was certainly at the more speculative end and funding loss-making startups and so on got into trouble first. But the underlying problem is, is, as I've been saying here for about six months actually, is that I think the central banks are just raising interest rates too high and too quickly, which then trashes asset values across the across the board, which of course then has a knock-on effect of blowing holes in the balance sheets of organisations like banks and insurance companies that have very large holdings in bonds in particular, which seems to be uh, the problem. Now, obviously, I'm not a banking specialist, and I don't pretend to be. I'm a generalist, uh, just looking at the the broad themes. So um, let's hope the central banks do what the obvious first step would be, is to stop bloody raising interest rates. I mean, I see the ECB went up from 25 to 3%, but that's relatively still relatively mild compared with um, the Fed in particular. Uh, so, yeah, so what's going to happen? I don't know. Nobody does. We'll just, we, obviously, we're all fearing contagion. I remember when I last spoke to Paul Hill, he likes to interview me every quarter, and it wasn't long ago we recorded our last one, and we were both commenting 
uh, how the FTSE 100 had just gone above 8,000 and how unusual it was to see a number beginning with an 8. Well, we needn't have worried <laughs> because it's it's absolutely plunged, uh, uh, to use a sort of typical journalistic word there, for a, for a, for a, for a decrease. It's down to about 7,300 now. So that's a, a pretty sizable drop in a short space of time. As we know, the FTSE 100 is quite heavy with banking shares. Um and all the indices have taken a tumble, so it's been a tough old uh, two or three weeks with a lot of our shares plunging. Personally, I, I'm I'm not panicking. Uh, I don't have any gearing now, so I'm just sitting tight. I don't think I'm clever enough to time the entry and exit points. And I think a, people, a lot of people who try and go into cash, which makes a lot of sense, preserve capital. I can see why people are doing it. Um, but they rarely get back in anywhere near the bottom because they're naturally cautious. So they miss the worst part of the drop, and but they tend to miss the, the best part of the recovery as well. So I'm staying fully invested. I don't think, uh, you know, uh, you know, banking problems happen every now and again and all the, all the authorities know what to do because they've experienced 2008 and in a nutshell they need to move fast and decisively uh, to stop contagion and so far that seems to be happening so um, personally I don't see any reason currently for panic or to adjust my portfolio at all and I don't ha- I never own banking shares anyway I don't think I'd want to be holding any banking shares right now I mean the big banks should be fine but your problem is as a shareholder you rank behind bondholders and depositors and I suspect that this time round intervention by central banks and regulators uh, probably won't save the shareholders. They'll probably say, well, or even maybe even the bondholders, they'll just say, well, they're big and ugly enough to look after themselves. What you have to do to protect the system is to protect the depositors, and I suspect that's that's the way the way it's going at the moment. So yeah, I'm not I'm not even going to think about bottom fishing on on banking shares um, when you don't know which is the next one um, to to indicate that they've got problems. So that's just a little bit on the banking thing. And I think in small caps, it's presenting us with irrational buying opportunities in some cases. You can see a lot of shares have sold off 10, 20 or even more percent from their recent peaks. And I think, you know, if you've got a long term perspective and they're good companies with little to no debt and that have put out positive recent trading updates, that's a buying opportunity in my book. Uh, with a long-term view, but you you know you might have to take a bit of a drawdown in the meantime. Everyone tries to just to time the exact low point, and it it doesn't really work like that in my experience. I remember in March 2020, it looked to me like the market had bottomed, and I had some spare cash on the sidelines, so I went in and tried to buy some of these bargains, and you couldn't get any. There was no there was there was no um, actual liquidity in a lot of well not in all of them, but. You know, I wanted to go in and buy quite chunky size positions in small UK shares, and I couldn't get the size I wanted. So I ended up having to spread it over about 20 companies and buy smallish chunks in each. So, you know, when the market is that low, and uh, but you go in and you can't actually buy any shares, that tells you there's going to be a strong rebound, which of course there was. So on Monday, Monday 13th of March, um, I didn't actually look at any individual companies until... Uh, later in the afternoon and if it's past the 1pm cutoff I put it into the following day's report. So we just had one company called MCON an Irish company that Graham looked at, I don't think he was madly enamoured with that, no he was at Amber on this one, MinCon Um, so that was Monday
Right, Tuesday, this is the 14th of March, much, much busier, we looked at lots of companies. Uh, Graham looked at Nightcap, NGHT, <coughs> interims from there, wasn't madly enamoured, but um, I read Graham's report and it seemed to come out with some quite um, surprisingly upbeat outlook comments. Um, I don't think Nightcap really has anything special there, it's just a bars group, and bars tend to trade well when they're newly fitted out, and then as they get tattier over the second and third year, business uh, slips away, and then they have to be refurbed and so on. I think it's just a horrible sector, but that's why I'm looking at it at the moment. Um, my second and third largest positions are actually in bars groups, but just nightcap doesn't work for me. My second biggest position is XP Factory, XPF. I'm really bullish on this. It's just such a good format, the Boom Battle Bars format. And I actually, um, myself and two other investors, went to the Oxford Street site, which is subterranean, very near Tottenham Court Road tube station, absolutely prime position. Uh, and a huge site, underground, sort of industrial factory-type feel to it, with the concrete ceilings exposed and everything. Anyway, I've been there four times now, I think. The most recent time was at the invitation of the... Well, I said to the CEO, can, can you meet me there? And he said, yes, be delighted to show you around Richard Harpham. I think he's so talented. I really do think he's a fantastic CEO, just a hands-on entrepreneurial manager who's growing the business at an extraordinary pace. And, you know, these Boom Battle Bar sites are so busy. We've been to, as I say, I've been to the Oxford Street, Street site four times, off-peak completely, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons in late February and early March. And it's busy, it's heaving, and it's got like a, you know, real upbeat party, almost nightclub-y type feel to it, with loud music, lots of you know, darkened lighting, neon lighting and so on. I think it's a really, really good format, Boom Battle Bars. It's not unique, but, well, it is unique. There are other experiential competitive leisure bars popping up all over the place but nobody's doing exactly what what um boom battle bars doing and it's really popular you can see the customers love it some of the corporate customers apparently have block booked once a week for a whole year in london because they need to rebuild team spirit for people who've been working from home for three years and this is a good way of doing it uh yeah very very uh, I, I mystery shopped it again in bournemouth Boom Battle Bar on Friday and again it was St Patrick's Day admittedly so everywhere was busy but the atmosphere when people are in a bar playing games together with groups of friends or people from their office it's just a happy upbeat atmosphere in there and the staff are all handpicked for their personalities so yeah I think XP Factory XPF I'm really excited about that share I think um, I think that's going to do well now next I looked at ASOS ASC, I'm red on this one because I think it's high risk. Um, Retail Gazette said that cover for its suppliers has again been reduced by the trade credit insurers. The company says it hasn't affected them at all. But, you know, it won't help their cash flow because some suppliers will demand payment up front or at least partial payment up front. Is ASOS too big to fail? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um what else? So you know, I'm just avoiding ASOS. It's too risky and they've got to do so much in this turnaround plan just to get it back on track that I wouldn't want to bet on that definitely happening. I looked at Focusrite, T-U-N-E. I like that one. I think that's good. Uh, it's reasonably priced. It got very overpriced, I think, but it's now down to 15 times 
price earnings, which is not exactly cheap, but I think it's a really good quality company, so I like Focusrite. Uh, Graham looked at PCI PAL interims. Um, very good growth there, but um, this big uh, patent case is uh, still an issue. Now, Eagle Eye Solutions, EYE, not my usual things. It's very highly valued, interim results. I've got, I'm green on this, though. I think I was green last time as well. I think it's very good. Um, not cheap, though. Sky-high valuation, but I think it is... They have got something special at Eagle Eye, I think. Winning big con- winning contracts, you know, globally with retailers for voucher systems does seem to be the leader in its field, and it's global, so... I think it's one of those rare things on AIM and actually, um, you know, a genuinely credible international growth company. So I like Eagle Eye. Uh, Graham looked at Midwich. Uh, I looked at Enaraka Tech, ETP. Uh, interesting company, Enaraka, I think, but um, it was a, a mild profit warning. Forecasts Revenue was well down, but they've recouped most of it through higher margins. So no big panic on that one. And then Virgin Wines I looked at. Oh, dear, that one's not doing well, is it? Down down 13%. It's only really trading at break-even in H1. Internal problems with the new software uh, implementation, although it's got a decent balance sheet, so that buys it time to uh, do a turnaround. But I just can't get madly excited about Virgin Wines. I like the CEO, though. I think he's a, uh, and I think it's fundamentally not a bad business. So it might be a it might be a nice turnaround at some point. Virgin Wines. Right on to Wednesday. This is the fifteenth of March report. Uh, this was Budget Day. So as usual, I down tools at twelve thirty when the uh, budget speech was given by Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And I quickly jotted down notes and published those. I think Megan has written a more detailed report on it on Stockopedia as well. So have a look at that. There was quite a lot of discussion um, <clears throat> in there. But I like to do my own quick snapshot on it as well, focusing on things that matter just to investors. So the big items were the tax-free allowance that we can put into our pension pots has gone up from 40000 a year to 60000 a year. And the real biggie, the abolition of the pensions lifetime allowance. Uh, which caps the size of uh, private pensions. Um, and I think it might... Didn't I read somewhere they do 20 times multiple for the public sector pensions as well? But anyway, he's in a really surprising move. He's he's abolished it altogether. Uh, I'm not sure that makes... I mean, it's fantastic news, obviously. That's really, uh, for us as investors, it really motivates us now to concentrate on getting those SIPs with as much money in, in, in them as we can. and to, Certainly my SIP now is my main focus since I've renounced the, the perils of gearing <coughs> and closed my spread betting accounts. I'm just really focusing on, an, on having an ungeared portfolio now and just building it up slowly and gradually rather than shooting for the moon, as I've mentioned before many times. So SIPs are now <coughs> hugely attractive with the upper limit removed, <coughs> which is just over a million pounds. The rumour was it was going to go up to 1.8 million, but then he, his rabbit out of the hat was to say it's just being abolished altogether. I'm not sure that will last, though. My main problem here, I've said in, in Wednesday's report, the next Labour government will probably um, reverse this change, I wonder. Sure enough, I think uh, later that day, Rachel Reeves, who strikes me as utterly clueless, um, came out and said that's exactly what they'd do. So... The positive benefit of getting people to, 
you know, defer early retirement and to really pump as much money as they can into their pensions has arguably been destroyed instantly by Labour coming out and saying they would um, reverse it. But I think it does, actually. So we're now all hugely motivated, of course, as investors to vote Tory, even though they're pretty lousy on in so many areas. It's oh, Sorry, I shouldn't get on to politics. But it's, you know, for me, it's always just a question of what's the least bad option. And I think uh, I think this I think Labour could have inadvertently handed Rishi Sunak a chance of actually getting back in, getting re-elected, because there's now a clear dividing line between Labour, who want to make sure people are penalised if they uh, have built up a decent pension pot and want a good retirement funded by themselves, and the Tories who are happy to let people, um, you know, uh, benefit from being prudent and saving and investing well by having... Although, I think somebody told... I don't think I know. Somebody told me who's researched this properly and knows what he's talking about. Apparently SIPs are not within your inheritance tax... uh, uh, you know, liability, that you can apparently pass on a SIP to uh, nominated persons, next generation or whatever, inheritance tax-free. Well, if there's now no upper limit on them, that could be really exciting. I mean, obviously, take professional advice on tax, because everyone's circumstances are different. But this could, you know, if people are putting 60k a year into their SIP and investing it smartly, you know, over 20, 30, 40 years, that could build up to a multi-million pound pot of money the tax-free lump sum is capped, I believe, at 262 grand or something. But that's plenty, isn't it? Who needs more than that? But you can then just draw on your... You could have a SIP uh, a pension pot that could be multiple millions and have a great retirement and then hand on the rest of it, you know, several million still intact, inheritance tax-free. So it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? So what's the betting even a Tory government might tweak the rules again to make sure they're not too generous? But anyway, in the meantime, I certainly think we should all be uh, taking advice from specialists and and looking at um, shoving as much money as we can into SIPs, maybe, depending on your personal circumstances. They didn't change the corporation tax rate. That's still going up from 19 to 25% to me. I think that's a big mistake. George Osborne was saying something similar on a TV show recently, saying, you know, in terms of international competitiveness, it's the headline rate that people notice. And all the detailed, you know, schemes below that, a lot of people won't even be aware of. So, yeah, I think that was a mistake. It's too big a jump, and it undermines uh, the UK's competitiveness, I think. But he has brought in 100% capital allowances for uh, machinery, um, IT equipment and so on, which uh, is is a, a very targeted attempt to make companies actually invest and improve productivity. And that's for three years, but he hopes it'll be permanent. So, uh, and the OBR latest figures, I haven't looked at them yet directly, but uh, Chancellor Hunt said that the OBR is now saying that the UK is not likely to enter a technical recession, although there's plenty of people who commented if it's going to be 0.1% or 0% instead of minus 0.1% or 0.2%, does it really matter whether you call it technically a recession or not? But it's it's the right way around. And the OBR is now saying inflation will fall from 10.7%, in Q4 last year to just 2.9% by the end of 2023, which is very, very encouraging, I think. And there's more help, more help on energy bills 
uh, and that was the, and then uh, oh, uh, you know relatively minor detailed measures as uh, as regards investors anyway. Now moving on to companies then on Wednesday, I looked at Bloomsbury Publishing. Very good materially ahead trading update. I really like this show; it's done very very well. Uh, they're saying that trading for which year is it? February 2023, now expected to be 11.5% profit ahead of consensus forecast. Now, to be, to be you know, significantly out outperforming forecasts right at the end of the, the year is very, very good. So they've obviously had a strong uh, year, end to the year. Hive, there's been a recommended cash bid. I've never really seen anything interesting about Hive, but um, Providence Equity Partners have decided they like it and they're bidding for it looks a fair price at £1.8 the takeover talks have been ongoing for a while so it didn't jump much in the market Was the takeover premium was already in the price Kinnan Carter Graham looked at, he doesn't like it he's red, I've I've looked at that before I don't like it either, so sorry thumbs down for Kinnan Carter from us, KCT this is some sort of digital transformation type company don't really understand what it does but we just don't like the numbers Central Media, and this is quite interesting, preliminary results, CAU. They um, run marketing websites and some physical events as well, I think. Uh, yeah, I think something potentially interesting there for uh, year ending December 22. Have a look at that. Slightly ahead of expectations and an inline update for 2023. It's paid out two special divvies, but I did some more digging on the balance sheet and cash flow, and it's not as good as it looks. So, um, but see Wednesday's report for that. But overall, I'm, I'm neutral on that one. And then Graham looked at Kingswood Holdings. He's neutral on that. So let me just pause this for a second. Right, on to Thursday. Sorry, I'm having technical problems here. My touchpad doesn't seem to be working very well, but I've got it going again. Uh, Thursday. Oh, this was the day where I I got up early and wrote a spiel about the banking crisis. Just, you know, no great insights particularly. I'm just pulling together information from articles and other commentators and things I've read and just trying to explain it all in, in straightforward terms for people who are too busy to do all that digging themselves. I recognise that a lot of lot of subscribers have full-time jobs and are busy, so I thought it'd be useful to pull that together and the readers seem to like it. Um, now, in terms of the companies we looked at, Graham looked at a thing called Pension B, uh, ticker PBEE. I don't fully understand the business model, but it seems to be a sort of pensions aggregator, uh, pension policies, and putting on them onto a new platform. Um, but it's still heavily cash burning, so I think that was Graham's worry on that one. But we had some had some good reader discussions about it, where some people say that, you know, there's a lot of operational gearing here, and if they reach a tipping point, it could become a nice business. I'm not convinced by it personally. Now, I've got a mystery share for you on Thursday. So this is a really nice company um, that I like a lot. I think it's very cheap. Uh, so I've given it an enthusiastic thumbs up. Now, in terms of the mystery shares, they're just for, they're just my best ideas of the week for Stockopedia subscribers only. So I hope you don't mind, but obviously they're paying for me to do this work so I think I've got to give them the best uh, the best uh, ideas first so I'll I'll put up what the mystery share is on Friday's just gone Friday, last Friday's small cap value report I'll edit that article and put the mystery share 
in it. So you can look it up immediately to see what that share is if you're a Stockopedia subscriber. Uh, moving on then, Graham looked at Gym Group. I think this looks awful, I have to say. GYM uh, is these low-cost, um, no-contract gyms. Graham's read on it as well. Uh, it's just got a lot of issues. Um, uh, heavy debt, near 80 million debt, and it's not making a profit. And and then gym num- user numbers, it says, have not recovered to pre-COVID levels. So maybe some people have just decided, actually, with the cost of living crisis, they're not going to go back to the gym and they can exercise at home or just go for a run, you know. Uh, instead of being in some sweaty gym with lots of saliva and sweat flying everywhere. And, oh, I hate gyms. I've joined dozens of them over the years. You always join in January, don't you, when you're fat and slothful after Christmas. Go a couple of times, and that's it. You don't go for the rest of the year, but you're locked into a 12-month contract. So I think I worked out that my my average trip to the gym probably averaged out over the full contract. (laughs) cost me about 200 quid for an hour. So yeah, I just I just do bits and bobs at home now, and a brisk walk in the afternoon I find is 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 much more pleasant than jogging, and less likely to wreck my knees as well. But anyway, look, I'm rambling. Gym group, uh, yeah, we're not keen on that. We're red on that one, both Graham and I. Now, no, I looked at Cooth K O T H with a ticker K O. This is quite an interesting idea. It's a, an app for mental health, um, which doctors I think can actually subscribe. Uh, or, or, or yes, it can be sort of what's the word prescribed to people to uh, as a self-help tool. Looks a very interesting idea. Now, it's almost reached break-even. Revenues have grown quite significantly. It's just announced a significant contract in America with California. Uh, really impressive-sounding agreement, but it's not actually signed the contract yet. It's just a sort of preliminary agreement, and. Um, no figures given, so we don't know. Um, but they've—I think they said they've—they wanted a framework agreement up against nearly two hundred and fifty competitors. So I think this one is very interesting. Um, I don't know how to value Cooth at this stage. I don't know if it's a viable business. I don't know what the operational gearing is on um, winning new business. But certainly, I think winning a contract for the whole of California for young—I think it's focused on young people—is really impressive because. You know, American um, uh, organisations generally don't like buying goods or services from overseas, I've been told. So, you know, if a UK company wins a big contract in America, um, unless if you're one disco where you just make up the contract details, um, then um, it's a pretty good thing. I don't know how to value Cooth, though, and it's already £79 million market cap, which... mm, probably fully priced for where it's currently got to. Anyway, I'm green on the next share, FW Thorpe, TFW, I think the ticker is there, I forgot to put that in. Uh, It's a a professional lighting equipment company, makes good margins, family-owned, family-run, yeah, very, very good. It's not cheap, but it never has been cheap because it's got such a good track record. Uh, Profit before tax was up 25%. Could have been boosted, though, by forthcoming EU legislation on the phasing out of fluorescent tubes, I think. But absolutely stunning 20-year track record from FW Thought. It's 30 bagged. So you can't, um, you know, I don't think anyone would do badly buying that and just holding it long term. 
Right, on Friday, I write the report solo on Friday. I did a demolition job on DFS. Uh, it's interim results. Uh, just her- I think it's awful, this one. They've basically, in a nutshell, poor trading, uh, barely above break-even in the slower half. Um, but they've maxed out their bank borrowings to pay dividends and do buybacks. Absolutely insane. I mean, this is so reckless, the management there. I think, you know, there's no way I could even consider investing in a company that is so uh, gung so completely, horribly re- reckless uh, with its own balance sheet. And, and borrowing money from the bank to pay dividends and do buybacks. Why the hell did the bank agree to that? Uh, so it's completely un- uninvestable from, from my point of view, DFS is. Obviously, the soft furnishings, uh, sofas and upholstered furnishings group. It's got huge market share, though, nearly 40%. Lovely business, but it's just the, the capital structure that's so bad that makes it uninvestable for me. Although if it hits its targets of getting its profit margin up to 8% on a $1.4 billion revenues, which is its target, then um, the shares would, would be a lot higher than where they are now. So, But just be aware of the risk if you do decide to go for that. Next, I look at Phonics. I'm green on this company. I think it's very good. FNX. They run the uh, voting systems for TV, uh, talent shows and things like that, comp- competitive shows. Um, very, very sticky. All Nearly all recurring revenues. And basically, once Companies like ITV have signed up with them. They use them every year because the system just works and it's good margins. I think it should do about 9 or 10 pence EPS this year. I looked at the interims. I, I've said here, although the PE of 20 is, is, is high, I do think it's actually justified with Phonics. They've dipped down to about £1.95 recently. They were over the, overvalued at 220 But I think I can just about justify paying up for Phonics shares at £1.95. So that's worth a look, I think. Similarly with Dot Digital, D-O-T-D, which does uh, e, uh, e email marketing software. 93p i think it's i think it's quite reasonable value out there so yeah i quite like that 95% recurring revenues for dot digital very good profit margin and it's built up a huge cash pile of about 50 million pounds which is about a fifth of the market cap nearly so on that basis with it, that it's got this big cash pile that it's going to do something with at some point I think that makes the the business uh, acceptable in terms of valuation. Oh, God, I'm nearly running out of time. Reach results, RCH, I looked at. I quite like it. Dirt cheap, PE of three, I think, um, uh, you know, covers all the downside risks. So have a look at Friday's report for that. National World, NWOR, is cleaner accounts, but much higher valuation on earnings. It's got a decent cash pile and no pension issues. But despite that, I think, so National World, probably lower risk, but I don't, I can't get excited about the valuation on that. Unfortunately, I've nearly run out of time. Quick macro factors, obviously the banking crisis we've already talked about. Um, I think we ought to start looking at the upside potential for a lot of bombed out sectors. You know, from these this level, once the banking sector is sorted out, once the economy continues to improve, assuming it does, you could have big upside from some, some of the current um, share prices. So I think let's start thinking about upside as well as downside risk. A uh, big drop in bond yields, UK 10 years down, now down to 3.28%. Uh, which is encouraging. Re-entry risk, a commentator on CNBC was talking about this, which I mentioned earlier. It's fine cashing out to protect capital, but you then have to think about uh, when you re-enter and the risk of re-entering maybe at the wrong time. Oil down 13%. 
on macro fears and stocks up, one of the papers reported. Uh, SVB and the banking crisis might result in debt generally becoming more expensive and more difficult to obtain for companies. I think that's important. So we don't want to be investing in highly geared companies right now. Uh, There'll be less upstart competition for many companies, probably, with... uh, uh, VC and private equity funding likely to be curtailed after the SVB collapse. Um, <clears throat> are we reaching the end of the interest rate cycle in the US? One commentator was uh, asking. Um, traditionally, the Fed cuts into cuts interest rate when there are big systemic risk problems. So we might even see an interest rate cut, which I think would be good. Um, uh, uh, oh, yes, the UK is in a relatively good position within the G7. Andrew Neil put up some interesting graphs on his programme, showing that really we shouldn't be particularly worried about the UK's public finances. They're one of the best in the G7. Uh, Mark to market of assets. If not, there could be huge holes in balance sheets. Uh, But apparently the big banks in the US are are already marking to market with their bond holdings, so that's good. Uh, I think that's everything. Escalating Ukraine tensions is another worry. Um, That's all I've got time for. Thanks for listening and good luck in the coming weeks.